This will be a fun one, Nate. We got uh, Ryan Peterson. Yeah. He was the... I don't even know how many episodes ago we had him on, but it was fairly I think it was early. like episode nine or something. No, I think we're still in Bigfoot in episode nine. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Dude, I don't... You Maybe you have it in front of you. It's early. It was early on. Like, we got him on the show pretty early, and he was great. We, we, we I remember enjoying it, and we wanted to do an, another episode. So, he's got a new book out. The final Nephilim. And his, I think his first episode. Episode 18, Return of the Nephilim with Ryan Peterson. Okay. Let's just say thanks together. Thank you. We had so many people sign up in November to support the show. As you can tell, we've been through the ringer. I'm recovering from COVID and uh, Luke's recovering from dealing with me texting him all day long. Memes. Just memeing. <laughs> Dr. Meme. <laughs> Yeah, man. Luke, a lot of people supporting the show. How, do you, how, how does that make you feel? It's, a, it's awesome. I think the community here has been the most surprising and cool part of, of this little project, Nate, and, and just having people involved and, and creating a, a, you know, a discussion and a conversation. And I feel like we're Bill and Ted. Yeah, man. And we're on an excellent adventure. I know. You guys have been great. This has been just a very important part of my life right now. And Blurry Creatures has become just a, a great... Uh, I don't know, Luke, just... Feel, feel a little emotional tonight. Um, it's been a hard season of my life, and this podcast has just been a really bright, uh, bright light in a dark time in my life. And um, just want to say thank you to everyone who supported the show. And it's cool to continue these conversations. And I didn't think that when we started this podcast, it would get as weird as it has. But every day, new messages, and we hope you're making you laugh. And we're excited about Ryan. We're going to bring him on and. Hop into his new book. Yeah, Ryan Peterson. Let's go. The history of our Earth is so different from what we can imagine. Enjoy the journey. The Smithsonian, that if they found out about a large skeleton somewhere, was to go get it. I'm going to assume at least one person is right, because if one person's right, it busts the paradigm. It all goes back to the fallen chair. And the problem with the modern-day church, they have a very truncated view of the supernatural. This backdrop that's just pregnant with all kinds of meaning associated with this Mount Hermon event. And this guy defects from the kingdom. That's a big deal. Ryan, you there? I believe so. Can you hear me? <laughs> there he is Ooh, hey going? buddy there, there he is. is how are you man we were just trying to figure out how long it's been we're like on episode 71 right. nate two 72 wow. and we had you on 18 wow. so it's great to yeah. have you back that's cool right? you guys have been working been, uh, you wrote a whole yeah. other book in the time <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly uh, it's, it's well, good man. to have you back hey we're on time you know we knew we were dealing with the professionals so i appreciate it right on time at eight o'clock. <laughs> well done well done <laughs> dude so you you've been busy we've been i've been, we've been following along it's awesome yeah you know it's funny um because really writing in the heart of writing and researching you know i, I just kind of like go into a cave like i don't really do much online at all 
And I get so many emails from people saying like, where are you? Are you okay? Are you alive? And so now I'm back. <laughs> so once I come back, I He's come back strong. He's so people back. know I'm back now. And uh, yeah, so I've just been trying to put out a lot of content just to let people know I'm back and I have yeah. you know more things to say. And also just to, um, cause I feel also feel right. bad that I go silent for a long time. <laughs> so now people are hearing from me yeah. all the time. Yeah. You well, got to do that. Well, dude, I, you know, been following what you're doing and I mean, excited about, like, I, there's a few things, yeah. you know, before we even like start rolling, like there's a few things just so that I would love to cover. I know I want to talk about the book and, and kind of have an expose on, on, on your thoughts, what you wrote it, what, what, what the expectation is. But there's a couple things I saw in the content that I wrote down that I would love to like kind of unpack. Um, sure. And so I made some notes, but a lot of it, like the veil stuff to me is fascinating how that, how that relates to quantum physics. So I would love to cover, cover that. And then the Trinity, but in the Nephilim stuff last time, when we, when we got on with you, we, you know, we, we went from the beginning and talked about the creation of the Nephilim and Mount, you know, Mount Hermon and all that. And then I noticed there's some things in there that we hadn't talked about that you've been talking about. So the first bride of the fallen angels is the first mother of Nephilim. We'd love to kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm yeah. just looking at, I made some notes, uh, location of supernatural portal. Um, how, you know, basically you, and then you, you kind of unpack and talk about how, you know, how can a woman conceive the, 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 you know, the, the progeny of an angel, the Assyrian that ruled the pre-flood world and then the veil stuff. And, and then how that relates to the end times. I think that's, if you're cool with that, that's kind of stuff that we haven't really touched yeah, on. Absolutely. At all. And, yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah, would love to, but I, but I, as always with glory creatures, we love to let it go where it goes, but I'm yeah, just kind of, yeah, no, so, that's fine, man. Yeah. Can hit all those okay. points. All right. Yeah, and right. you could talk about Bigfoot too. Yeah. You can talk about anything you want, man. <laughs> so we could we could talk about '80s movies. We could just make this a we could make this whatever we want to make it. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much yeah, for coming. Yeah, thanks back for on. having me. This is this is great. This is great. I enjoyed that. I, I, honestly, I'm blown away. You guys have been working so hard. I can't believe I was episode 18. Um, <laughs> Dude, right. oh, that's really that's awesome. That's really that's really that's really great. Now you're now you're in the 70s. Yeah, I know it's let's amazing. Go, let's go. It's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, we kind of de- we didn't realize what we were getting ourselves into as well. One show leads to the next, yeah. and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Does. it. So yeah, so I mean, from the beginning, Ryan, like we were, you know, we started in this Bigfoot thing to kind of, and Nate has always said Bigfoot's a gateway drug, right? So yeah, it is, and and that and that took us to the Nephilim and to, and we've really lived in in a lot of the space, the Nephilim, supernatural, chimeras, and creatures, and, and and it all goes back to Genesis six. It it all goes back to yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. To the uh to the fall to the watchers and, and the fallen angels and they're it's they're dabbling in um in genetics across the board. And so yeah, let's dude, first off, congrats, brand new book. I saw you on, on the you. Instagram, you know, unpackaging that and yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and now you had a cyber you had a cyber weekend sale. So this is good. This is going to come out a little late for everybody to use the code, but uh, yeah. you still got to pick it up, pick it up before Christmas. <laughs> exactly. But um, tell us about the new book. Yes. Yeah, Unless so, Nate, you want to start, you want to start like we usually start though, Nate, I'm, I'm ahead of myself here. We already asked him his thoughts on Bigfoot. Well, I we think. can always ask him again if he has any new thoughts, but yeah, unless you let's, 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 let's start about, let's talk about the book. Ryan, I cut you off. Brand new book, the final judgment of the Nephilim. Yes. Yes. So, so it is, uh, so it, it, it essentially is the sequel to judgment of the Nephilim. And, and what, what we, what I really wanted to demonstrate was the first book. It looked at Genesis six at the Nephilim, the giants, and really tried to make the biblical case that throughout the Bible, this is what really weaves its way through the old Testament. It's the reason for the flood. It's the reason for 
the wars in Canaan where God said, go in and wipe out everybody, you know, the entire civilizations that it was not about an angry God, just overreacting. This was genetic warfare and really an effort by the devil to prevent our redemption, to prevent the birth of the Messiah. So that's, that's judgment of the Nephilim. When we get to the final Nephilim, now we're talking about how this all plays out in the end times. And I really, I ended kind mm. of, the, I ended the first book kind of on a, on a cliffhanger with Jesus proclaiming in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And so it really kind of t- jumps from Genesis to Revelation, because Jesus said, if you want to understand the end times, how this all plays out in the end times, you have to look at the days of Noah. And so I kind of focus on four key events from early from the earliest parts of scripture and kind of use that as a lens to unpack and really decipher um, the prophecies of revelation and how this all really repeats everything in the bible is a cycle that's really repeating and how that just as you had angels openly manifesting in the days of noah in front of people you will see the same thing in the end times and so kind of talking about how this all replays again with the fallen angels return to earth to the human realm until Armageddon. Hmm, hmm. And do you see that already happening? Because a lot of talk about UFOs and things happening, more and more that is manifesting. Yeah. Do you see signs already that it's already kind of coming? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was uh, for me personally, the fun part of this second book is that I got to talk about things like the UFO phenomenon and a lot of things are taking place now um, since the first book really focused on antiquity. Uh, and I think that the, the way I see the UFO phenomenon working into this, first of all, we're seeing, obviously, there are many stories and accounts of either UFO sightings or encounters, and I connect it back to, to the demons, who I submit are the spirits of the dead Nephilim, of the dead giants, that these are their spirits. They now roam the earth as demons impersonating. They were the idols in, in, in biblical times. They were the idols, the pagan idols. And now I think they can take the role of alien beings. And so, hmm. so two things really come to mind. One is that even today, there's this constant theme in this phenomenon of people who claim to have encounters of reproduction that they're the aliens were trying to get to their reproductive organs or impregnating them or presenting a child to them or trying to remove a child from them in the case of a woman, obviously. And so right away, we're seeing this theme of Genesis six, right? This idea of mingling with the seed of men, but also again, when you go back to this idea, I said that in the end times, it's, it's going to be like the days of Noah in the sense that you'll have the fallen angels are, returning to earth and it's really again a repetition of the flood you know in in the days of noah the waters came the flood waters came from the ground from the fountains of the deep and from above from the windows of heaven so you had water from above and below in revelation we're told that at the fifth trumpet of revelation you have these locust beings who i believe are the imprisoned sons of god the original sinning fornicating angels of genesis 6 are released from the abyss, from the ground. And then also you have in Revelation 12, Satan and the rest of the angels who didn't commit that original fornication sin, they are evicted from heaven and they come to earth. So it's really like a repeat of the flood, but it's an angelic flood. And how are these angels who come to heaven now, right? The the testimony of Revelation 12, it says that, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the devil has come upon you having great wrath for, you know, this time is short. So how are they going to present themselves I don't think they're going to come to earth 
saying we want to kill everybody and drag you to hell with us. I think they're going to present themselves as benevolent beings. This is the end times. It's all about deception. It's about trying to lure the world into a deception to worship the Antichrist. And so I think they're going to, they could easily say we're beings from another planet. You know, we came to earth 7,000 years ago and we seeded humanity. We recreated you. And now we have returned. We've watched you all this time. And now we're here to help you evolve to your next state, right? Homo sapien 2.0, homo novus. And so that's that's how I see it kind of weaving its way into uh, end time prophecy. And it's funny. We've heard that, Nate. Like we've heard that exact from not from a Christian. We from from actually a Mason. Wow. That we had in a very in a very famous one who basically said almost verbatim that they're here and they're working with the government and they're benevolent and they're here to save us from ourselves, which is it's just this ancient alien theory and also this narrative that gets getting pushed that like, oh yeah, we're just a we're a little project that's been seeded and wasn't and- that the the Eternals movie that just came out? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I recently did a, a, a YouTube episode on my YouTube channel about that movie. And, you know, that's that's precisely what the plot was. So you have these uh, immortal, genetically engineered beings who came to Earth from the from the onset, from the creation of humanity. And they've been guiding events behind the scenes and, event, and, and ultimately are, are the gods. And uh, what I pointed out was there's so there's so there was so much to talk about in that movie. But. One of the things I, I jumped on immediately is that you see a scene in the opening of the movie where one of these uh, Eternals is they were in a, it's 5000 BC and they're rescuing this primitive ancient village uh, from these demonic beings. And after they defeat them, one of the Eternals picks up a wooden dagger that one of these ancient villagers created and transforms it to metal. And it's supposed to be the basically the first me- metallic tool or weapon ever created and hands it to the person. And then the man is like in awe. And of course, thinks this is a God giving it to him. And that's precisely when you go to the Bible in Genesis four, yeah. when I talk about the first family, what I call the first family of the Nephilim, that this, this, this transaction of giving a daughter in marriage to a fallen angel was for knowledge. And the first, and what that now specifically was metallurgy blacksmithing crafting tools weapons so it's exactly what the bible says and the book of enoch for that matter as well this transaction of forbidden knowledge in exchange for a human woman to to marry yeah we talked about with about that a bit with tim alberino and the idea that was a it was a transaction for technology right it's just tech it was a trade it's fascinating the thing about eternals too is it like i hadn't seen the movie but looking into it and and i'm glad they brought this up was that there are these 10 kings and then when we have the 10 horns it, it, there's this weird almost like soft programming in, in this whole thing that, from from revelation where you have this whole i mean not only is it that narrative from the beginning but you you know you have the narrative of they're they're here to save us they're the superheroes these are, these are the you know it's like the old gods the old gods are back and they're here to you know exactly. here to save us from ourselves right right exactly and it's it's the garden of eden right right the, how did the devil get eve to sin by by really twisting god's word right yea hath god said you know, it's questioning what God actually said and, and twisting it, right? And, and one thing, again, from the Eternals movies to show you that right from the beginning, it's the opening words of the film are in the beginning. Hmm. I mean, it's literally taking it right from Genesis 1, verse 1. So that's, that is not a coincidence, you know? And you made, you made an excellent point about the 10, the fact that there are 10 of them. And, yeah. and we're told that they, there are 10 kings who will rule with the Antichrist 
in the end times. Actually, in, in, in my new book, I, I believe those are angelic beings, that the final kingdom on earth before Christ comes will be a fallen angelic human hybrid kingdom as it was in the days of Noah. So no coincidence there. You think they're kind of creating a, uh, as much chaos as possible now, and then they present themselves as the saviors to humanity as things are just seem to get worse every day? time you turn on the news, it just gets worse and worse and worse. You think that's all by design for these 10 Kings coming? Yeah, I think it's seeds, right? Like, just like, you know, we in, in, in the Christian church, we're told to, to go and, and plant seeds, right? We're, we're preparing hearts and minds and getting people to open themselves up to believe in Jesus. It's the same thing. There's, there's preparation for the Antichrist that, you know, he's going to have his own false prophet. So there's going to be a whole, you know, full angelic PR marketing machine that I think is already at work. And even the idea, um, when you think of Hollywood films or books or literature, and I, I, I even put a section, you know, in, in the, in the final Nephilim in my new book, I have video commentary throughout the book. I have QR codes you can scan and you get video commentary. And I did a section specifically that's not in the actual book itself, but I did a video about the books and movies that are targeting teenagers that deal with the Nephilim, that where there's a whole genre of literature out there about fallen angels, Nephilim, they say it, they mention, they reference Genesis, they, re- they reference Noah, but they're casting the Nephilim as the saviors of humanity, that they are the ones mm-hmm. who are here to save us, to rescue us, that they're, they're good, that the fallen angels who just wanted to love human women and have, you know, but God, but God wouldn't let them basically have girlfriends. And so now that, so they're, they're, they've been robbed and denied this. And so it's really, again, taking the biblical account and twisting it in a very sinister way. Right. I was going to say, I think it's interesting when you said something there, like you think about the garden and the idea that the, the apple was like, you can be like God. And then you think about the fall itself was that these Elohim, these sons of God thought they could be, like God, they could be like Yahweh. They could do what he does. They could be, they could take his throne. Right. It seems to be this consistent theme that like the lie that you're sold is it, is that, is it somehow we can be that we can be like God. There's, there's this knowledge that, that he's keeping something from us or, and that we, if we just wanted to, we can be like, like God, it seems, and that seems to also perfuse through a lot of this media stuff that like, you know, and the transhumanism stuff that we are like, we can be like gods and all we have to do is upgrade ourselves if we just knew enough and had enough technology. And I think that's, it's crazy to me that it seems to be, that's the original, original from the divine council through, through to Eden. And now to the end times is just the idea of that, like we can upgrade in some way and, and we can be just like, like Yahweh. And you're being conditioned to get the upgrade with everything, right? Exactly. And when you think about angels and their age right the devil is far older than all of us right so and far smarter right right? and so from a strategic standpoint he's just using the same temptation over and over again just with a different generation of humanity and and you know we see that and it's worked consistently and even worked with the angels this idea and it's all about trust right jesus tells us to trust him put our faith and trust in him and we can have the same thing the devil's been selling deceitfully trying to hustle people with for millennia right the, the one thing right. that we, you know we can have eternal life we can be eternal um right. but when we trust god and by putting that doubt uh the devil's been able to provoke and instigate rebellion time and time and time again and we see like you said to your point that even in modern times you have you know 
a number of Silicon Valley moguls who are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in life, in, in life extension technology in seeking immortality, that they're literally mm -hmm. investing in trying to find ways to live forever, to, to overcome death. And so that temptation, I think, is only going to ramp up in the end times. And ultimately, I think that even when you look at the Antichrist in Revelation 13, the event that wins the world over, that, that is the turning point for the Antichrist, is when he receives a deadly wound and is healed. That's the time in that verse where it says, then that's when the whole world wonders after the beast. And they say, who's like him? Who can make war with him? That's when they say, say he's not just a great leader. He's God. And so I think even when you look at the mark of the beast, I think it's going to be a repeat again of the Garden of Eden. Going back to this idea of what I call quantum mm -hmm. repetition in, in the Bible, that it's everything's repeating, that the mark in it. You know, we know it's going to have an economic component. No one can buy or sell anything without the market of the beast. You can't participate in society, essentially, without it. But also, I think it's going to have a genetic component. And what the Antichrist is offering is, if you take this mark, you can be like me. You'll receive my power. You can join, be one with me. And just the way I overcame death, now you can. That essentially, it's, again, this idea that you can be like God if you take this mark. And so... And by taking it, altering you genetically, just like in the days of Noah, mm -hmm. and disqualifying anyone who takes it from redemption, which is why we're told in Revelation 14, if you take the mark, there's no forgiveness, there's no turning back. And I think it's because you will, once again, we're, humanity will make a decision to become something other than a human, other than an image bearer mm -hmm. of God. And I think that's fascinating. It's like it's it's counterfeit Messiah. It's counterfeit resurrection. Yep. It's counterfeit tree of life. Right. It's it's exactly. all these things that and they're and they're bad. Yeah. I mean, it's like the gospel is you you lose your life for for Christ and you find it. Yes. And and Satan's is you know you can upgrade your life and be better. Right. 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 It's it's this just it's twist. like it's, you are the. I mean it's it's yep. a deification of self. It's like it's the whole and not. Not ironically, it's this whole movement of self-love. It's it, it's all it's all pre-runners for this whole thing that if we're told to die to ourselves. Yes. And the world's message is like love yourself, pick yourself first. Like self-love, time for self for self, you know, self-help and self-love and self. And it's totally contrary to what the, what Jesus says in the gospel says: take him across daily and die to yourself and die to your sin and die to your flesh and become a new man and be baptized and become a new creation and renew your mind. It's like all these. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the opposite, right? It's all... Amen. Amen. It's no yeah. coincidence that there, you know, every religion, Christianity is the only religion you will find on this planet of all the belief systems that tells you you're wicked, you you were born wicked, you will remain wicked, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can do absolutely nothing to redeem yourself, to save yourself, to improve yourself from a spiritual standpoint at all. It's all on yeah. God. It's all on Jesus Christ. Every other religion is going to tell you you, have, you can do something. Yeah. There's some step you can take. You can ascend. You can meditate. You can perform some work. But Christianity yeah. says you can do nothing. And you have to, but it gives, why? Because it's God who redeems us. And I think right. God even, even controls religions on the planet. I believe that spiritually, just, that no one else even proclaims that 
oh, God is going to do everything for you. Every other religion is telling you to do something. It's works. On your own. It's all exactly. works. Yeah. It's all works yeah. righteousness as opposed to just trusting right. in the work of Jesus on the cross. And the free, and the free gift of salvation. Exactly. It's, it's, which is beautiful. Uh, it is, which is it's beautiful. beautiful. It is. Yeah. Speaking of the mark and, and whatnot, a lot of people have said the mark is a genetic thing. Do you, a couple questions for you. Do you think that you know, when Christ offers us his blood that like we are genetically transformed when we come into the family of God, is there some sort of genetic thing happening as long, along with a spiritual analogy? Do you think there's something genetically changing in us? And do you think that sort of the bastardization of the gospel will be, you know, Polyon or, or, you know, the beast offering his genetics? Obviously you kind of touched on that, but right before. Yeah, this, precisely. But. You, you, you basically just quoted my, my book. <laughs> so I think it's going to be exactly, exactly. So, so yes, I agree with you. There we go. Very well said. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, and I say that, you know, our salvation as a Christian, we think about being a born again Christian. And my, I believe I have faith in my heart, right. That we, and that's, and that's all true. There's a, it's, it's spiritual. You receive a new spirit, but it's also physical. It's also genetic that we are taking on the body of Christ that we become scripture says that when we see him, we will be like him. And so I think literally that are in our new uh, glorified bodies that we receive at the rapture that every Christian will receive that you will that that is the genetic component that the bodies we have now are not going to go into eternity that we're receiving a much better sinless body. And so there is a genetic component to it and everything the devil is doing all through the book of revelation. It's, you know, and, and Luke already kind of touched on this. It's, 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 uh, it's an imitation. It's a mockery. And so just the same way as we can be the reason why we can be permitted into heaven, into eternity is because we're taking on the sinless nature of Christ. We're taking on his sinless nature physically and spiritually. And so similarly, the Antichrist, what he's offering is take on my nature and you can overcome death. And I, and I point to uh, this passage in Revelation 9, where at the point that I believe the spirit that will indwell the Antichrist, that, that point that it's released, uh, you're, you just mentioned it, Apollyon, uh, Abaddon, who I think will possess the body of the Antichrist and he's resurrected, the satanic mimicry of the resurrection. That's the point where we're told that men will seek death and death will flee from them. So for this five-month period at the fifth trumpet in Revelation chapter 9, it, there's a temporary immortality where no one can die. And I think that's a direct result of them taking the mark, which gives them this temporary immortality. But at the time they take it, all people want to do is die because the judgment, the oh. torment from these locusts, these beings, these fallen angelic demonic beings that come out of the abyss is so horrific that everyone wants to die, but now they can't. Ryan, so this is this is this is a good great segue. So one of the things that you've talked about a little bit on, on, on some of your your series and, and whatnot, I think, is something we haven't touched on um, a whole lot, and, and it fits in this bookend because your first book, Judgment of the Nephilim, is about Genesis six and, and and what happened looking backward, and the new book is about looking forward. And, and in both places, we talk about the days of Noah, right? And one of the things that happened in the days of Noah was is the veil was lifted, and so. I would love to kind of just unpack the veil for one. Like we, Paul talks about it, right? Like the things we can't see are more real than things we see. Um, and you've kind of touched on it saying in Revelation, you believe this veil will be lifted and we'll see these angelic beings we don't see now. So first off, like why, why, why do you think we don't see angels now? 
I mean, some people's claim to, I guess there's some, there's some people that maybe have had experiences and I don't want to discount that as well, you know, for anything, but for now there's a veil between what we consider the physical and the spiritual. I know you, you like to unpack some of that in quantum physics would love that. I don't want to nerd out on that a little bit. And then the things you see looking backward and then forward with when it, as it pertains to that veil, I would love just an expose and a little bit of that. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said, the veil is really the barrier that God has put between the spirit realm, the human realm. That, and this is why we don't just see angels just walking around on earth, even though they're, we're told they're all around us or, and demons for that matter. And, and, I, and I know there can be individual encounters. You know, the book of Hebrews says that we can be careful when you entertain strangers because it could be an angel unaware. So there are individual accounts. But I'm talking about when they're just walking around town, let's put it that way, openly right. manifesting. And so uh, what I point to is that in the, in the days of Noah, the veil was lifted. In the, in the, before the flood, the, the veil was, was, was lifted. So you had, you just, you can go right from the Garden of Eden. You had God was speaking openly with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned. They obviously, you know, at Eve's sin, she's just talking to the devil. Mm. When, they, when they're judged by God after this first sin, Adam, Eve, and, and Satan are all standing together. After God punishes them, God placed a cherubim at the, to block the entrance to the garden and put a flaming sword that was just to, to, to prevent anyone from going back into the garden. So you had all this mix of the supernatural, the, the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, and the earthly realm were just open to each other. And then, of course, in the days of Noah in Genesis 6, you had the sons of God, the Benaiha Elohim come, angels, fallen angels, taking human wives and having hybrid offspring, the Nephilim. So, so clearly there was this open interaction uh, between the heavenly and the earthly realms, where after the flood, the veil has been, it was reinstituted. And I think the reason why God did that, again, it really goes back to to the flood judgment, that it was this idea that God is going to, just as the way God will uh, separate, God repeatedly separates his people from the wicked. You know, he did it with Cain. He banished Cain from Eden altogether after Cain killed Abel to allow the godly line to continue through Seth. You look at the Exodus, you know, God, before when the Israelites entered Egypt, uh, they were put in a city. They had their own city because they were shepherds and the Egyptians didn't interact with people socially who handled cattle. And so that allowed the nation of Israel to grow from 70 people, Joseph's family, to millions by the time we get to the book of Exodus. So God repeatedly does this separation. I think putting in the veil after the flood was a way to keep the angelic influence out of humanity to allow God to work his plan of salvation, essentially, and build up Israel and to lead to the Messiah, to bring forth the messianic bloodline. What, well, let me, let me ask, what are, you, what are your thoughts then on Eden as opposed to that? Do you think Eden is a supernatural place or was it a physical place that, that that's the thing we've talked about on the show a few times. Like there are certain people that believe that Eden was off earth um, or that, that there was a portal on top of Mount Hermon. And that, so then in, in those kind of thoughts where, Eden is when you're banished out, that seems the veil then comes, you know, falls because of the fall of man and because of sin, this, yep. this sort of separation. Then you have Jacob's ladder and you have these, these, these things where you see angels ascending and descending. And, and we know that that's happening and I'm soon to be like a portal, yeah, whatever you, exactly. you want to say it. But yeah. is Eden like the paradise that Jesus talks about on the cross? Do you think, do you think it's a, is yeah, a, I, I, think Eden, a I think so. So I think it was both. I think it was physical 
and supernatural in the same way the temple was. I, th- I, call, I call the Garden of Eden in Judgment of the the first temple because God designed it. God placed it there. It says God planted a garden, just like God gave the instructions for the tabernacle. God gave the dimensions and the design for the ark. And so I, I think those are all kind of versions of the temple. And so you have this mix again where it's a physical location, I believe, that was on earth. But yet God could manifest there, just like we see in the temple, in the tabernacle, right? Which God also gave all the specifications for how to build the temple. And what do you see in the temple? You have three areas in the first in the, in the first tabernacle that was, that Moses constructed. And you have the outer court for all the Israelites. You have the holy place, which is for the priests. And then the most holy place, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, which is where only the high priest could enter once a year on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, to offer a sacrifice for the for, for the atonement of the nation. And God would manifest his presence at the Ark on, on the Day of Atonement. And what separates the holy place from the most holy place? A veil. A veil. A veil. So I think God is even in the tabernacle is showing us the arrangement. That's the arrangement, I believe, of the universe, actually, that God is showing us that this is how he has arranged the universe. And the tabernacle is just a picture of that. And of course, at the crucifixion, when Christ died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn torn in two. So again, it's symbolically showing you now God is allowing us back to go come back to reconcile with him through the, the atoning work of Christ. And what I also point to is this idea of the sea. That we see in Revelation, there's this sea of glass that's like the floor before God's throne. And you see the martyrs who, took, who, who died for not taking the mark of the beast standing on this sea of glass in heaven. John sees this. And I believe that sea of glass is an actual the, the barrier between the heavens. Between We talk about the first heaven, which is the atmosphere, the sky above us, the second heaven, which is outer space. And I think the third heaven where God dwells, where all the angels are, where God dwells, I believe that is the, that is the veil that God has put to separate the, the heavenly realm, the third heaven from the rest of outer space and the, and the atmosphere. And when you get to the end of Armageddon, the end of Revelation, the, the, when the Antichrist is defeated, when Satan is defeated, when there's time for a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21, it says and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no more sea. So that's removed. Hmm. But ultimately, that's God's goal is to remove the veil permanently. And we'll start creeping back in the end times. So the end times is yeah. when the, the God will start to remove the veil. And I think that's what really, when you think about even the book, Revelation, right? It's the revealing. God is right. peeling back the veil to reveal everything that everyone's wanted to know and, and everything everyone's questioned. Is God real? Yes, God is real. He's coming back to earth. Are angels real? Yes, they're all going to be revealed in those last years before the second advent of Christ. Hmm. This is it's heavy. It's cool. It's, it's I mean, great. The, the context of that. So then, the God puts his veil down and, and, and divides, right? But we do have time where some of this weird stuff comes through that obviously is part of the darkness, and then you also have 
Yeah, the angelic. So how do you think that happens or that operates? Do you think that that's a, because it seems like God controls that. Yes. But yes. also allow, allows that, right? He, he like does. Some- he, he does. And I, and I think he allows it for, for uh, righteous and evil beings, right? So there, you can look at examples, you know, like we mentioned Jacob's ladder. There were angels ascending and descending up and down this ladder from heaven. You had prophet Elijah. He, he was taken up into heaven in a, you yeah, know, in a, yeah. in a, with the chariots of fire. So God will open that portal from time to time. And even I also point to the, the baptism of Jesus Christ at the Jordan River, which is where I think there's a supernatural portal in scripture uh, between heaven and earth, because so many supernatural events happen at the Jordan River. And when Jesus was baptized, it says the heavens opened, you know, it rolls back like a scroll, like the veils pulled back. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove onto Jesus and God speaks audibly from heaven to earth. God, the father speaks from heaven to earth and says, of course, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so I feel like God is showing us that when he chooses to, he will remove the veil temporarily and even speak directly to us from heaven. And I think conversely, also with the demonic realm, we see the same thing, especially in the gospels when Jesus in his first advent on earth there are demons running around all over the place so i think even now when we see whether it's again we're talking about aliens we're talking about bigfoot or other creatures of this what i believe are of the demonic realm through some mechanism some system god is allowing these beings to come to earth at various times and literally interact with humanity as we see in the gospels with all the demon possession that takes place here's a question for you ryan it kind of reminds me of what you're describing, kind of reminds me of the stone table in Narnia with all the creatures around. Do you think when Christ is being crucified, the veil that he can is lifted for him and he can see a sea of people, but also just, do you think there's just a host of demonic creatures just hovering over the crowd and around? I mean, it seems like probably one of the darkest events in human history. Yeah, I do, actually. I, I do. And I, and I think even when you look at uh, Psalm 22, which is a, 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 pr- a prophecy of the crucifixion, and Jesus says that they're gathered like bulls and beasts around him. You know, I don't think he's just talking about the Pharisees. I do think he's talking about the spirit room because he can see these beings all the time. And, and, and again, they thought they got the victory, you know, the, and that's the right. beauty of the Bible, the, the, you know, the, the details where it tells it, which says that had they known, mm-hmm. you know, the devil, would, they would have never crucified him had they known that they were basically being set up, right. you know, for Christ's victory, that Christ came to die. And so I think that they were, yeah, they were celebrating and he could see that. Right. And so we even see examples all throughout, again, in the gospels, when someone who is possessed by a demon encounters Jesus, immediately they know exactly who he is. They say, you are the Christ. You are the son of David. I know who you are, you know, to the Mm -hmm. point that Jesus has to tell them, don't tell people who I am. Like, so, so there's a, they are, they are familiar with each other. And so I think they also tell them it's like, it's not time yet. Right. Like it's not at the end. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're like freaking out. You can't too soon. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, I got a little more time before you take me out. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because like Doug Van Dorn on our last episode, Luke was talking about how maybe the veil is an act of mercy from God, because if we could see all these creatures, it would be terrifying. And in some extent, that's kind of what our podcast is starts and, and lives in is, is that every once in a while one of these creatures manifests what's well, people Nate, that's and biblical people too have, i mean all the angels when they show up people they say don't be afraid like people exactly. fall down like want to worship them right exactly. like it's the, the, the announcement of the, of the birth of christ is like don't be afraid like don't yes. be afraid hey don't be afraid like we're here for good news <laughs> yeah, right. like, dude, <laughs> yeah yeah we, the, right? it seems like the other side of of the veil is 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 wild 
Exactly. Like, and, I, and I really like that. Uh, how, how Doug put it, that's an act of mercy. That's I, I agree. Right. That we because we'd be overwhelmed with fear and mm-hmm. to your point to worship them. Right. I mean, just even the glimpses the Israelites got of any of these powers and they were falling into idolatry left and right. I mean, think about the yeah. the Israelites saw God manifest his power in front of their own eyes so many times and yet still kept fell into idolatry worshiping demons worshiping fallen angels time and time again and do you think that's because there's an there's a, there's a sense of humility that comes with the gospel that doesn't come with these other religions that's not as seductive because what ultimately we've been talking about this whole episode is giving in your own seduction of becoming godlike but you know that you have there's this whole element of humility that's on the other side definitely definitely and that and and, and again i think it goes back to the what makes christianity so unique is that Christianity tells you that you're not you're not special, you're not a, a a a god in training, that actually you're evil and your mind is evil, your heart is evil, you are you were born, you inherited evil from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so other religions don't really tell you that. It's but it's Christianity. So it, it's all about humility, the understanding that in our own strength, we can't do anything. That we can't and which makes sense if you think about it. Think about the things we're talking about, right? You know, God created the universe what are what you know we have no role in any of this we're just been given this gift of having life on earth from a god who loves us and just wants to reconcile with us and bring us back into the family so i think the humility that comes to christianity is so valuable and that we have to retain that even as a christian you have to maintain that and keep reminding yourself you know that's paul says we die to ourselves daily because we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are sinners who have just been saved by a sinless God. Yeah. I, I got to ask, like, so when we talk about realms and we're talking about the veil and the realms, like one of the things I think that you bring up is, is like quantum mechanics and quantum physics sure. and how this study, this relative, very new, I mean, it was, was an Einstein, right? That talked about quantums and, and we talked a bit about this with Judd and Doug about how quantum computing will dump things into another, into another dimension. And then it comes and the answer comes spitting back out, which is all like crazy things to like, explode your mind thinking about how do you think that relates to the division of the realms and then also to things like the vision of heaven and even the division the trinity like how how do you think quantum physics plays into into that yep sure sure so i think quantum physics is the first field of science that's really just starting to peek into the spiritual realm and in the simplest way I can explain it, what, you know, obviously quantum physics is looking at subatomic particles, protons, neutrons, electrons, what makes up an atom, what makes up matter and light. And what I try to highlight in my research is the amazing kind of convergence between quantum physics and the Bible. And then first off that, you know, you go back to the, like you mentioned, Einstein, Max Planck, Niels Bohr, the earliest quantum physicists, they concluded Two, I think, important things. One, that everything in the universe, even matter itself, originates from light, right? Which takes us right to Genesis chapter one. God said, let there be light to initiate creation. Everything. Let there be light. Jesus said, I am the light of life. Jesus calls himself the light of life. So there's this constant connection between light, God's divine light, and life itself in the Bible, which is what quantum physics has now discovered in the past century. And additionally, what made quantum physics so kind of crazy and spooky, as Einstein called it, is that what these scientists learned was that when you looked at 
subatomic particles, they don't behave how you would logically expect them to behave. And so there is, and there's certain concepts that um, what they call, I guess, the uncertainty principle, where you can have a subatomic particle like an electron and it exists in two states at once. So what they found out was that it could be literally spinning up in an upward spin cycle and a downward spin cycle at the same time, simultaneously, and could exist in two different times at the same time and doing those two actions. And they call that quantum superposition. And so I, I was just blown away by this in doing my research. And because re- I just thought immediately, this is exactly what the Bible has been ex- ex- telling us for millennia, that when you look at the some of the most complex concepts in the Bible, like the Trinity, Jesus says that I and my father are one. He tells the disciples, if you've, you know, Philip says, show us the father. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, that Jesus, while on earth as the son, proclaims that he is one with the father, that you have, and the, the Bible says that there are three that bear witness, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, that you have three separate beings that exist at the same time as one being. How does that make sense? Well, quantum physics put a name on it. It's called, it's superposition. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, again, what the Bible has been saying all along in Revelation. And a big part of what I open my new book with is the idea of time. Jesus says repeatedly that God, of course, exists outside of time. But Jesus says in Revelation, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and ending. That Jesus is the beginning and ending of time at the same time. So again, this is this notion of being in superposition. And so it's just, I think as we head towards the end time, it's, it's all I love a it. It's, course. It <laughs> makes so much sense though, right? Like, I mean, it, I think it was something we've talked about it briefly before, but there's like a, they've proved like 11 different dimensions or something they believe at this point, right? right. And, and I think I never thought about the Trinity in that sense, but yeah, if God the Father is outside of time and Jesus is the beginning and the end of time, you know, you have the Holy Spirit who operates in the spiritual realm, but also in the physical realm. You have these crazy crossovers between, uh, what to call them what you want, you, realms or dimensions or whatever, They the operational or the, what you said, the quantum superposition, the fact that it exists, that God exists in all of these in a different position, but simultaneously, it makes your head hurt like, it does, but it's just also great validation of the, of the Bible that the Bible has has these concepts have been on paper for millennia. There's even a you know a famous again quantum physics thought experiment you know by a physicist named Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat that gets into a whole simulation where a cat is alive and dead at the same time, which is what Jesus says that he would die but yet lives evermore. That he's eternal, but he has died. He's he. So it's like again, even that is a concept that the Bible has explained and described already. Great. And do you think? And do you think that's what they're doing at CERN? I was going to ask. There you go, Nate. Yeah, you know, like they're trying to kind of manipulate these particles and and open up their own doorways. Absolutely. Yes, I think that's exactly right. And 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 it's amazing again that how. You know, this collision course between science and Bible prophecy, this is not a coincidence. At the same time, you have all this investment in immortality and life extension. You have a machine that's literally trying to open the fabric of this dimension and open up a, a gateway to another dimension. So I think that's, again, that CERN is basically man's attempt to tear through the veil. And that's what they're really ultimately trying to do to access another dimension, which I think would 
from they may not say it, but I think it's the spirit the spiritual dimension. Yeah. So definitely. Well, there's a bunch of weird stuff too about like rituals and rites that were done at that place before they. It's like it, there's a lot of weird. Yeah. It's a it's a technological Babylon workings thing where they're trying to summon. Exactly. things out of, out of the abyss and they have a pagan statue right out front right on the front lawn I mean, come on right so, yeah. <laughs> so. and do you ryan do you think that like the 10 kings are going to be like the old nephilim kings of old like hercules and some of these giant uh half demigods? gods yeah yeah and, and, and other characters from the eternals yeah right yeah exactly right. yes because there was a gilgamesh in the eternals so yeah are they going to be oh, okay. are, are they going to be like eight nine footers you know, so I think they can be, I think they could be right. So I, I think it's going to, cause I, you know, the, the scripture that I, that I hold on to, to, to support that is when Jesus said that in the end times during that time, that men's heart will fail them. What they see coming upon the earth, they're literally just seeing these beings, people are going to drop dead from seeing them. There's a, a book, a treatise really written by Hippolytus, a church father in 202, circa 202 AD. It's the oldest writing on Revelation that I quote in my new book. And he gives this amazing description of what will happen on earth when these angels are cast out of heaven, evicted for good. And now they're on earth and the veil has been torn back and we can see them. And he just describes them. As you know, he he says like they're going to be you know beautiful. These like beautiful beings bathed in light, glowing skin, singing beautifully, hovering in the sky. He said they'll be floating in the air, and humanity will just be in awe of them. So I think yeah, it's going. They're they're not. I don't think they're going to come just looking like regular people. I think they're going to be much more in their angelic, so to speak, form. Where it's like whoa, you know, like they're beautiful. Like that's what that's what people say about Satan, right? Is that like is that he was the most beautiful in creation of heaven? And I think there's all these ideas. That he's this, this is grotesque devil with pitchforks. And you're like, this is no, you know, some of these things are going to be the most crazy things anyone's ever seen. Exactly. Like the, and people talk about the Nordics and this idea they're tall, like Greek gods. I mean, that's what they're supposed to look like, right? Like right. this idea that these, the irony's not lost that this pantheon of gods is really what they call it. The, it's the opposite of the divine council. It's the the bad council. I don't remember what the right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the B team, not the A team. The B team, yeah. <laughs> So uh, Ryan, so one of the things too you talk about when looking in the final in the final judgment of the Nephilim is the end. The Messiah has come, right? So the, the first incursion, and we had this 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 attempt by the enemy to pervert and destroy the the bloodline of the Messiah, among other things, with with the creation of the Nephilim in the beginning. And now that the Messiah has come, and you know they they did they did everything wrong. We talked about with Doug and, and Judd, Satan, you know, quotes Psalm ninety one to Jesus about like. I want the angels come and rescue you if you and not let your foot, you know, he's quoting Psalm back to him, which we found out when reading the Hebrew, it's actually full of creatures and all kinds of other crazy stuff and demonic. Why, why genetics again? Why do you think the enemy wants to alter genetics again at the end when it's not about, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot in play here, but it's not about, you know, um, preventing the Messiah. That's already happened. Right. Correct. So, so two, so two big things there. So it really comes back to prophecy, right? So, in the in the spirit of repetition, I begin the new book with the with the same prophecy I call the ultimate prophecy, Genesis three fifteen, and when this is of course when God is announcing the judgment of Satan that that the Messiah, the seed of the woman, would conquer him, and that's the theme of judgment of the Nephilim. But the final Nephilim, mm. God said, "I'll put enmity or war between thy seed, speaking to the devil, and her seed," and so I focus on the other seed. Satan's seed, who I believe is the Antichrist, he is the final Nephilim. So he will be a literal offspring of the devil. And so that's the, the, the first component of this kind of end times mingling is that the devil is going to, 
as God told him from the beginning, God told him, you're going to have a child. Just like we, we all agree that the seed of the woman, at least 99% of Christians and theologians will agree, is Jesus. The Messiah was the prophesied seed who would conquer the devil one day. So one, that prophecy of the devil's seed has to be fulfilled. And I believe it's a literal interpretation, just like the Messiah is a literal person. But two, the second component that for why this is necessary is that Jesus at his first coming directly connected his return to the end times reconciliation of Israel. He told Jerusalem in Matthew 23, he said that you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So the rejection of Christ by Israel corporately, not referring to individual Jewish people who can be saved any day of the week, but as a nation, that is a huge component of prophecy that has to be fulfilled. And throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous prophecies that connect the return of the Messiah to Israel crying out for him first, that they have to acknowledge him as the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, and then he returns. So what the devil is trying to do in the end times is raise up his own Messiah to seduce Israel one final time away from God, to get them to worship his Messiah, therefore to prevent the return, right? If you think about it, it's it's really a race again. The first race was to stop the Messiah from being born. Now it's to stop him from coming back. And if the devil can can, um, upend that prophecy, and lure Israel away, which is what the Bible says is going to happen, that the Antichrist is going to win much of the world over, uh, then he can prevent that from, from taking place, that return. And then when you bring in the fact that, okay, well, I can either seduce them into idolatry, or I could just corrupt them genetically and just disqualify them. Again, it's another attempt that if I can just mm. get the entire nation corrupted, because remember, Satan tried to corrupt the entire human race. The first go around. Now it's just one nation, Israel. And so, again, it's the same idea. If I can corrupt this nation, disqualify them from redemption, I will prevent the Messiah from being able to return. Hmm. Hmm. So it's kind of like delaying. Exactly. Just yeah. a constant delay. Delay, I delay, say, delay. Uh, Ryan, I think, again, it's fascinating, though. Like you have this, it, it, it's the antithesis then of the gospel, right? It's a God has his only begotten son is Jesus, you know, born of, of supernatural means. And then you have this really bad counterfeit, you know, the devil's going to pull at the end to try to, and it's funny, we've talked about this a bunch, like, does the devil think he can win? And and I guess I've come to the point where I don't think he thinks he can win. I think he just can delay the inevitable. He thinks he can delay it for infinitely. And, and so that his judgment never comes, right? That, I think that's the, I don't know, maybe he does think he can win. What do you think? Do you think that, you think the end, knowing that, that the old dragon has been around and knows the prophecies prophesied over, over his judgment and his life, do you still think that they, that they think they can win, or do you think they just can, they think they can prolong it long enough that it never happens? I, I think they can. Re- I think they really think they can win. You know, when you read in Revelation sixteen that they, you know, you have these demonic spirits that come out of the mouths of the Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist, these demons like frogs, and they recruit the kings of the world to come fight. I think they believe that because you know, if you think about it, all sin to some extent is delusion right? You know, when you are sinning that God sees you yet we do it anyway. Right. So, and so as human beings, as, as inferior beings to angels, we still carry this delusion that we can sin and as if there's no consequence. Right. And so 
so we're all participating in this delusion to some extent. And then I, but I think that for an, a fallen angel who's thousands, if not more years old, who's so much more advanced, so much more powerful, that they have an accelerated, I believe it for an angel, their corrupted spiritual nature is much more accelerated in evil. And I think this is why mm. even in Genesis 6, it says that once the, the Nephilim started spreading all over throughout humanity, it says that the thoughts of men was only evil continually. And that is, a, to me, a very powerful statement the Bible makes, that people are only thinking about evil all day long. I mean, you can think about, you know, pizza. You know, that's a very neutral thing. There's nothing sinful about it. It's not <laughs> honoring God, but there's nothing wrong with thinking about, man, I really want to have a nice pizza pie tonight. Unless you're, less, unless you're lusting after it, right? Yeah. Like, I, need, I need this. <laughs> there you go. And so, but, unless it's dominoes, right? Right, yeah. And then, and then it's a to, sin. It's hot and ready. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm from New York, so I gotta go with the New York. <laughs> hot and ready. <laughs> um, but if you but to think about evil 24-7, that's all so so I think it's that's because we people in that time were getting part of that corrupted fallen angelic nature. So I do think the devil does think he can win. And even Going to the very end, Revelation 20, after Armageddon, in the millennial kingdom, you have a thousand years where Satan is locked away. Christ, Jesus Christ, is on earth, ruling from Jerusalem. People have to come at the Feast of Tabernacles to come honor Jesus every year. So people see Jesus. He's ruling for a thousand years. And yet, once the devil's released, he gathers a huge army of people to once again try and fight God. It's crazy. So... In a short amount of time, he's able to just gather up probably millions of people. It says, there's a, it says their numbers were at the, like the sand of, at the sea. So, yeah, so there's sin is delusional. I think for an, a fallen angel, it's exponentially so that the devil does think he can actually win. Where do you find hope when in these messages when you're talking to people and when you're thinking about this? Because like sometimes, especially in our world right now, the vibrations and the frequencies and whatever we talk about on our show, it seems so lowered and people are more than ever... I feel like there is this just lure to like, like Luke was saying earlier in the show, like, you know, become, become your best self. And it's just very selfish. It's like, we're being lured into this it's selfish. Oppressive. All of it's oppressive too. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Especially in it, social it, it media. Is. I, I agree. Completely. Where's the hope? I, I agree completely. And I think that what we have to rest on is the ultimate spoiler alert is that we know that God wins, right? That Jesus will conquer the antichrist will conquer the fallen angels. And, and I think the beauty I, I, I call the, you know, one of the last chapters in my book, I call it David versus Goliath battle for heaven and earth, because I think that that David and Goliath was a preview of the battle between Christ and antichrist. You have David, the ancestor of the Messiah battling a Nephilim and look how quickly it was over one stone, one shot, done and i think that's what will ultimately happen that, that the antichrist is no match he's not he's not like the equal of jesus and so jesus will conquer all of them but the beauty of the final chapters of the bible is that everything is restored even the millennium god restores the earth to how it was in the garden of eden and then the new heaven and new earth god can just dwell with us and it says that there's no sun because again why because god's light lights up the whole world so god wants mm -hmm. to create a beautiful world again you know you see these images in the old testament it says that where you know a wolf and a lamb and and a baby can all lay together right the animals or even the animals are now at peace there are no more predators so god this is what god the vision that god has is about reconciling his family so i think that the thing we have to hope for is knowing that that's the outcome. What God wants is a world of beauty, 
of love, of joy, of happiness, of harmony between man, God, and even animal throughout all creation. And so I think as Christians, we have to keep that in mind and we have to share it. You know, this is the thing that, that, that I, I'm hoping that people will get from the book is that Noah in the 120 years before the flood says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was trying to tell people what the judgment was coming, but, but guess what? He wasn't just telling people you're going to die. There's a flood coming. He was building an ark. And so I think that's our model as Christians right now, that we have to not just, one, we have to warn the world of what's coming, but let them know there's an ark, there's salvation. And wouldn't it be great if the church spent more time being like Noah? You know, we're getting so caught up in battling each other, in warring on social media, in being the the naughty police, telling everyone how bad they are when the Bible, that's a given in the Bible, right? And so I think we need to change our perspective to say, hey, this is real. This is what's coming, but there's a great escape. There's a great future and get people on the ark. (laughs) That's our job right now is to really encourage people um, that God has a plan to save all of us when we trust in him. I like how you use that analogy of David and Goliath, you know, sort of being this bigger metaphor, ultimately the, the seed of Jesus defeating the seed of the serpent. Well, and yeah. Noah, and Noah being building, building hope, like right, like there, God was making an out at the same time, saying, "This is, this is, mm-hmm. you all, you all should be judged, but this is your out. This is the hope. You know, it's gonna take you two hundred years to build, or however long it took. Yeah, yeah. It took, it took, poor guy, it took a long time. It took yeah. a long time. Um, but you know, and there's even you know a small detail too about the ark is that when it says that God closed the door, God mm-hmm. closed the door of the ark, and. Noah was on the ark for seven days before the rain started. And so I don't think that's a coincidence, right? I think that's, again, a preview of the seven years of the great tribulation, right? Wow. So again, that God mm-hmm. is going to protect us. We can be in the ark just like we can be in Christ and be protected from all these things and have a greater future, right? Noah steps off the ark into a brand new earth, right? It's all mm-hmm. new again. And so I think that all this, and this is the theme of the book that I really, I, I call it the scroll of time. That time in the Bible is like a scroll where it's circling, things are cycling over and over again. And so we will step out of the great tribulation into a new earth. That's like the garden of Eden again. And so we have to just carry that message and, and share. Like the good news is not just that you give your soul saved. There's a, gr- a better world awaiting people hmm. that God is preparing. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Come on uh that's that hope right there, baby. Let's the gospel, go. I mean, the gospel in, in the last couple of years of my life has become so much more sort of imperative. It's not this, well, you know, it, it, it almost feels like the seriousness of it all has been multiplied in my mind that we are in an eternal movie. Yeah. Whether you, whether you want to acknowledge that or not, like these things are coming and you really can't sit on the sidelines for much longer. Do you think that humanity in the future is going to kind of be more polytheistic, monotheistic? Maybe we were in the days of Noah because if the veil was lifted, then we wouldn't have agnostics and atheists and unbelievers, right? That we're going to kind of come into this age of spirituality. The veil is going to be lifted and you're really going to have to decide. Yeah. No, they say there's no atheist in the foxhole. Yeah. There are no atheists in the Great Tribulation. Yeah. It's not happening. Because when you have these beings in front of you now, that's it's over. The atheist movement is over. So yeah, so I agree. I think we'll become much more, like you said, polytheistic. And 
Jesus warned that it's going to be deception, like rampant mm. spiritual deception is the mark of the end times. Says in the beginning of Matthew 24, when the disciples say, what will be the sign of the end of the world and of your coming? He said, let no man deceive you. There's going to be rampant deception. And there's no greater deception than when you have these beings that can masquerade as who are shape shifting, who can look beautiful or look frightening. They, they can, you know, they are going to, there's no greater delusion. And if you even think about the Antichrist, it says he can perform literal miracles. He performs miracles. The false prophet performs miracles. He can call fire from heaven, which all through the Old Testament was a sign of God's approval. When fire came from heaven, is from God. So this is going to, this is again, what the scripture calls the strong delusion. So I think that all the removal of the veil will definitely lead to society, unsaved society, becoming much more polytheistic. Hmm. Ryan, do you, do you think that removal of the veil is going to be a first contact situation where we have, you know, a, a ship show up and the, and I mean, literally I'm, I'm yeah, trying to, yeah. cause that makes yeah, the most so, sense to me is, is that we have this first contact and the ship shows up and all of a sudden we're already seeing stuff. I mean, the government's, the first time it said that UFOs are the yeah, other things we can't explain. They don't even call them UFOs. They create a new acronym. I can't UAPs. remember what it is now. It's yeah, UAPs. Right, right. Yeah. But do you think it's this first contact where it's like this uh, Independence Day? Yeah, right? Like these, it shows up and they step out and they say, we're here to save you from yourselves. Uh, it's a valiant Thor kind of thing, except it actually happens, right? Yeah, it, like, it, it could, I think that could definitely be the moment of first contact. And I even, uh, I even have a news, obviously it's, it's a, uh, created it was a, you know it's, it's a video effect but i had a a, a, a newsreel i run you know i did a um a documentary it's like, it's like war of the worlds kind of thing exactly with all this, these alien yeah. ships coming up in the city and, and, and there's a big news flash saying they have arrived and so yeah but yeah i think i think that's it definitely could set the stage um for the first contact scenario to actually play out when the veil is removed for for, for sure and you know you mentioned uh there is another another show, another TV show that they, they did a remake of the series V, which was a 1980s alien show. And they remade it, I want to say about maybe about 10 years ago. And it literally starts off with alien ships are just hovering over every major city, these huge alien ships, but they're not even speaking yet. They're not even communicating yet. They're just, they're just there. there. And in the this is in the I think in the first 10 minutes of the first episode, and you already had people on their knees, worshiping them in the streets before they even appeared and even offered anything. And of course, once they came and presented themselves to humanity, they said that we're here to help you. They had cures for every disease. They were providing advanced technology. And that whole scenario played out to, of course, lore to, mm. you know, to, to, to trick humanity, essentially. So, yeah, I, I see that as a possibility for sure. Yeah, it's going to get real blurry out there. It's time to call Randy Quaid, man. <laughs> exactly. Kick the tires, light the fires, Big Daddy. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty vocal on Twitter, getting wild out there. <laughs> That's kind of why I mentioned him, dude. He's ready. Get him in the he's old, ready. Get him in the old biplane. Let, him ha- let it happen. I may have called his house phone number trying to get him on the show, but that's another story. <laughs> I did. He was talking about Bigfoot one day, and so we, we called him up. And hey, it's 80s. It's the theme of Blurry Creatures. We have an 80s theme, 80s music. We make 80s memes. So what better than Randy Quaid? Than, I like it. Uh, I like it. You know? <laughs> I like it. Well, I love that hope. I love that hope. A lot of times on this show, it gets a little, you know, I had a couple of people call him or just text me and be like, man, you know, I love your show, but sometimes it can get heavy. They get real heavy. And I don't always want to live in the doom and gloom, Nephilim. They're building you know, hybrids underground and they're stealing people in, in airplanes. I mean, it's been really heavy on our show, uh, yep. Ryan. I mean, we 
we did, we started with Bigfoot and we had no idea how far we would get. But we went down the rabbit hole hard. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's like the Matrix. So you don't you don't come back out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, it's really solidified why I feel like I need Christ. I mean, I've I've never really understood the concept of a savior. What am I really being saved from? You know. Exactly. And now I realize, man, what we're being saved from is so much deeper and greater than just the sins or our shortcomings. Yeah. We're being, we're being saved from an army of darkness. And that's something that we have outlined on this show now. And I understand the, the creatures and the entities and the demons. And there is a whole slew of, of creatures yeah. that are out there. Nate, you, you, uh, you really hit me earlier when you said, you said we're living in an Eternals movie that mm. I, I've, I've felt that my brother, because that mm. I was like, wow, that was deep. And that's, that's the truth. Right. And I think that's the creative perspective that when you look and explore these things and realize it's much bigger than just our daily battle against sin and the wrong things we do. It's about the fact that we humanity, we are in mankind. We're in the middle of a war that started way before us and that is much mm-hmm. bigger than us, but we're the prize in this, right? We are literally, we are the prize. The devil wants to rule over us and his fallen angels and his demons and all these creatures when they are allowed to come in through the veil for their temporary time on earth before God sends them back. That's, that's what's really taking place. And I think that perspective puts a much bigger significance and importance on why we need to be saved, why our salvation, how important. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree uh, a thousand percent. And I think that's, you know, and, I'm, and I think that's what Paul is even trying to tell us in Ephesians 6 when he talks about we wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's like, don't keep your eyes on people as your enemy, because especially if you're a Christian, and unfortunately, we fall into a bad habit of attacking people a lot publicly as Christians. But Paul's telling us, look, no, it's principalities, power, spiritual wickedness in high places. He's naming all these different categories of heavenly dimension beings of fallen angels and demons saying, look, this is who our enemies are. And, and think about what he's saying that he says, we wrestle not. He's talking about wrestling. This is close quarter combat. And so what saves us from that is Jesus Christ, that these beings are trying to really battle with us. And the beauty of God's salvation is that he wants to protect us from all those things. And he can do that and give us immortality. I think we Christians, I think we need, we need better PR that look, we have immortality over here. That we can get that to God is not just forgiveness, it's that we have eternal life, that we are going to be immortal beings because mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ and everything he does for us. And who wouldn't want that? Right. That's ultimately what people are searching for in so many spiritual pursuits and so many religions. It's about trying to reach this point of, of leaving the cares of this world behind, everything that drags us down to depression, anxiety, into mm-hmm. anger. That the people want an escape, and the true escape is through Jesus Christ, and it's permanent, it's eternal, and it's because He loves us, not because we did something to impress Him. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. This show has made me really like for the first time, but feel inspired. Like, I man, I want to run through a wall for Him. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, because I mean, just what He took on, and what we're up against, and it's so hard. Is that veil? That veil? Yeah. Ryan is so deceptive. People. I mean, half of Christians believe none of these things are real. You know, they don't even believe Satan is is an entity. Wow. And that veil is 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 so thick sometimes. 
It's the usual suspects paradigm there, right? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Until yep. it isn't thick. Yeah. Then, so what, when does this veil coming down, you think? Like, I mean, do you have any thoughts on I know it's it's hypothetical. You know, I'm sure people well, are just check my watch because I don't think we have much time left. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, so I, I you know, I soon then I, I, I so I kind of see the clock as a countdown to the veil being removed as opposed to trying to say, OK, it's going to be this day. I, I see it as like time kind of running out of the hourglass. And what I look at is I look at Revelation and I ask myself, I ask what is described in Revelation that couldn't be achieved today. Right. And you talk about the mark of the beast. And the idea that you could have something inserted into your hand that you can buy or sell with, that is obviously in this last decade, that's completely achievable that you can have with RFID technology. It's now, it's very conceivable to have something yet yeah, that no one can buy or sell. You can just go to score, store, scan your hand, and you can buy things. You know, when John wrote that in, I think, 96 AD, that's, that, was, that, that must have sounded ridiculous. You know that that you you without a mark, you know, because there's there was open commerce, you could trade anything to for goods. Right. When the two witnesses in Revelation 11 are killed, it says the whole entire world sees their dead bodies in you know dead in Jerusalem. So how could that be again? With the technology we have today, you could just open your phone and go on mass media on yep. Instagram and see their bodies, right? So it's easy, right? So so that's how I kind of see that we're close because there's not much being described outside of the angelic things before you get to that point that can't be achieved today. So I, that tells me that we're we're very very close. And so, uh, and the generation and the and the Israel's as a exactly as, yeah. as, a, as a state has been good, good point. Israel's a na- nation state again, and this a fig tree generation. And then you get into all the numbers like how much is a generation and how yeah, and, know, and to bring it full circle uh, with. Uh, you know, the quantum physics and Isaac Newton, Newtonian physics, you know, Isaac Newton, you know, wrote twice as much on the Bible than he did on science and physics. And he in, you know, in like 1610 wrote definitively that nothing, the the way to know the end times are going to start is when Israel returns as a nation. And he was absolutely convinced that that was going to happen at some point. But he said that basically, he he basically Mm -hmm. felt like, don't even worry about revelation actually happening until Israel is officially recognized yeah. as a nation again, and which obviously happened. But he said that, you know, about three, three and a half centuries before it, before it actually took place. <laughs> man, man. Yeah. And apparently he died a virgin. So he, I mean, he was sold out. He was, Oh wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> Dude, he was he, he was waiting for the he was wait waiting for the second coming for sure he's he on the, yeah he's he was, he was on it he was sold out for yeah he was, <laughs> <laughs> well Ryan we love it man we love we love having you on the show and we appreciate the uh, the dive into the strange eternal world that we uh, we find That's ourselves in yeah. yeah absolutely and, uh, hey guys thanks 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 for uh, so much for the, for having me this is awesome I, I love talking to you guys and continue to do what you do i'm so happy mm. to see the success you're having with how many shows you have great guests who you keep bringing on and this is so important because mm. you are you're hitting on exactly what paul's talking about that's where he told us to put our focus on and the more we keep our focus on that that spiritual war i think it's easier to keep our hearts close to god and close to jesus so keep doing what you're doing and uh thanks again for another opportunity to come and uh to kick it with you fellows for a little while. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, tell people where they can uh, get your book and connect with you. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, 
My website is judgmentofthenephilim.com. All just one word, Judgment of the Nephilim. That's also my Facebook page is Judgment of the Nephilim, uh, my Instagram. Uh, uh, you can contact me through any of those ways. But my book's available on there. I also um, I have a number of products out right now. So I have two documentaries I did, uh, Judgment of the Nephilim, Secrets of the Pre-Flood World, and uh, The Final Nephilim, Battle for Heaven and Earth. They're both, basically, if you want to watch, if you want to understand my books in one night, that's for you. It's it's all the mm-hmm. high level concepts. It was um, I'm very happy that it turned out. Um, hmm. Filmed with a professional Hollywood cinematography crew. Um, also made study guides for the books as well for both of my books. Uh, you can find it at judgmentofnephilim.com or on Amazon, and soon to be on Barnes and Nobles, but it's on Amazon already. And also my YouTube channel is Judgment of the Nephilim, and I have a six part series there I did, I did called my Final Nephilim series, so it's there to watch. You get lots of content from the book. I also do a Thursday night theology show where i take questions and try to tackle all these tough mysteries from the bible so um those are the main ways to contact me i welcome questions i love getting questions that's why i do a show answering questions so um feel free to reach out to me glad to hear yeah hey i remembered i remembered what i was thinking about newton bachelor to the rapture that was that, that's, that's <laughs> I like it. To the I like it. <laughs> gonna be a bachelor to the rapture. I like that. Hey, Newton held on, man. He was he was I'm holding d- on. I'm definitely gonna use that. <laughs> I have a couple of friends are still in that category. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Ryan, we appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for coming on and for all you're doing out there. Um, yeah, yeah. Dude, thanks, excited excited to get your book. You. Read it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem, man. This is great. All right. <laughs>